0: Hello, welcome to the My Modern Met Top Artist podcast. I'm Jessica Stewart, an art historian and contributing writer for My Modern Met. And I'm thrilled to bring you another chat with one of today's top creatives. We love speaking with artists who help connect you to the global art community. And that's why we're particularly excited to speak with today's guest, Alexa Mead. Alexa is known for her groundbreaking art, which sees her painting on the human body in three-dimensional spaces to create spectacular illusions. Her work makes it seem as though a two-dimensional painting has come to life, and she often creates interactive installations that ask visitors to engage with her art. Her work has even inspired collaborations with the likes of Ariana Grande, whom Alexa painted for the God Is Woman music video. A true trailblazer, we were curious to learn more about Alexa and how she's built a successful studio over the past decade. We also dive into her backstory, including her work in politics, and how crypto art and the world of NFTs is opening up new possibilities for her. Before we get to our interview, I just wanted to remind you that as we approach the end of Season 1 of the Top Artist Podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Send us a voice memo to podcast at mymodernmet.com about your thoughts on our guests, or how you feel about big topics from the past year, like how the pandemic changed your relationship with art. You never know, we might just use your message in a future episode. And now, let's dive into our talk with Alexa Mead. Alexa Mead, thank you for joining us on the Top Artist Podcast. We're very excited to have you here with us today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Great. Let's dive right in. I have a ton of stuff to talk to you about. My first question is to hear a little bit about people's early life and and what drew them to the eventual career that they chose. So I'm curious to know, were you drawn to art as a child? You know, what first brought you toward art?
1: Um, I had no idea that I was going to be an artist when I grew up. I was an arty kid, but I liked arts and crafts. I loved making friendship bracelets. (laughs) My real passion, though, was politics. I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area, and I just got swept up in all the excitement around Capitol Mm -hmm. Hill. I ended up interning on Capitol Hill for four summers for various congressmen and senators. You worked... um... I actually interned for Bernie Sanders... Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. So I, well, okay. So in 2008, I did press for the Obama campaign in Colorado, Mm -hmm. but among my Capitol Hill internships were Bernie Sanders back when he was in the house of representatives, as well as um, Senator John Kerry on the Senate small business committee. So my life was very different.
0: Yes. Well, I mean, what set you down that path of politics? Was it just growing up in Washington and being surrounded by it all and wanted to to be part of it? I was
1: definitely a product of my environment. Um, I, just lived and breathed politics.
0: So I'm curious, you're very involved in politics and then clearly seeing where you are now, it's like, what happened? How did you go from interning for Bernie Sanders and other people in Capitol Hill to making a shift? Tell us a little bit about how that happened.
1: I spent my junior year abroad in Denmark studying the European Union. And while there, I fell in love with Scandinavian furniture design and i thought okay maybe i don't want to do politics i'm not quite sure wouldn't it be cool if i were a furniture designer instead wow and i went back to my senior year of college at vassar where i was studying political science and i took a sculpture class so that i would have access to the facilities to learn how to woodwork and weld and build furniture It was during a sculpture class that I had this idea to put black paint on shadows. I wanted to see what it would look like if I covered a real shadow with my painted interpretation. And through that process, I accidentally discovered this technique for making three-dimensional space appear two-dimensional. It was quite unexpected, but I thought there was something there to push. And then I just fell down this rabbit hole of exploring shadows
0: and light and space. So had you had any painting experience previously or was there just sort of a desire to be creative that really grabbed you with the furniture and it all just sort of tumbled together?
1: I never thought that I could be a painter in part because whenever I tried painting an art class in high school, I would get overly perfectionistic. I could never finish anything. I was never satisfied with the results. And so it just... I associated a lot of bad feelings with the process of painting. Mm. When I started this style of painting that I do in three-dimensional space, I have to paint everything very fast because it's ephemeral and I don't have the ability to overwork it because uh, once it's done, it's just done.
0: Yeah, I think it really comes across in the brush strokes and the colors you use. It seems very free.
1: I have this, um, I guess, not quite a mantra, but something I think about is that the first brush stroke is the best brush stroke. Mm. When I'm painting on top of a physical thing in 3d space, I put down a stroke of color directly on top of the real thing. And once I put down that one brush stroke, I've covered my reference point. And if I later want to go back and tweak it, I no longer have that original information to refer to of like, well, what color was the object originally? How did the light and shadow fall there? And I just have to trust that my first brush stroke was correct and build off of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of confidence and really, I suppose, believing in your initial instinct, which we're all told that we should do just in life in general, but so often we second guess ourselves. And I'm wondering, is that something that came to you right away, particularly with this uh, creative medium? Or is it something you had to work up to, to really believe like, no, I know what I'm doing. And first brushstroke is best.
1: Um, So typically what I do do is as I'm painting, I have this mantra of the first brush stroke, best brush stroke. And then once I have the whole surface area covered and I can take a step back and it looks like it could be resolved and finished. That's when I look at it really critically to figure out what is and is not working. And then I find those 1% details that I very slightly tweak. And it's in that last 1% that Mm. takes almost the same amount of time as doing the first 99%. Right.
0: Well, I mean, your process is quite interesting because, you know, we spoke a few days ago and I asked you, how do you want to be defined uh, as a, as a painter, as an installation artist, uh, what kind of artist? And you just said simply artist, which probably is the best way to define you, given that you, you're sort of this intersection between installation and painting and sculpture. And people get so boxed into thinking, oh, painting needs to be on a canvas. Uh, Sculpture needs to be on marble or wood or anything like that. So, you know, talk me through your process of sort of setting aside those traditional notions and how do you work with the three dimensional objects?
1: Well, what I find really ironic is that art is a celebration of of freedom and creativity and creating something from Mm. the heart and making it. And yet there's all of these external rules in which there's this idea art has no rules but classification by its very nature is a rule is it a painting is it a sculpture and why can't something reside at the intersection of those things why do i need to make art that fits into some external classification rather than just making something that is Mm -hmm. mine
0: yeah and i'm sure as humans we do love to classify things we feel sort of safe. Like, okay, it needs to be X or Y, black or white. And your work, it really went viral in in 2010. And I wonder if some of that is, it came out and it was so fresh and people just hadn't seen it before and thought, I didn't know that art could also be this.
1: Um, So I've gotten a lot of that from people who've said like, I never knew that I liked art. Art never spoke to me. And when I see your art, I get it. And I feel like all of a sudden now I can appreciate art. I think so much of um, the goal of artists in reaching success is being approved by the mainstream art world, by those that technically are seen as mattering in the art world rather than just humans and like people who can see and appreciate art. (laughs) And um, I think there's no shame in making art that connects to people who didn't know that they didn't even have an appreciation for art. At some of my exhibits, I create these large painted installation spaces where people can step into it. And it's as if they're walking into a painting. And rather than a normal gallery experience with, you know, velvet ropes and signs that say, please don't touch the art. Here, you are actually intended to touch the art. You're supposed to put on the painted costumes, be part of the painting, sit on the painted furniture. And I've had people at those art exhibits just tell me like, oh my God, this completely shifts what I thought art was. Like I thought art was something you see at a distance and appreciate and you treat it like it's a fine wine as opposed to something that can just be integrated into life and for every day.
0: Yeah, I mean, the traditional art world is so, can be very intimidating. A lot of people are afraid to step in a gallery setting where it can be a little bit off-putting. So definitely your work is so immersive and really draws people in.
1: I felt that intimidation when I first started out as an artist because I did not study art. I didn't go to art school. I'd never taken an art history course. I studied politics. And so I felt like with lacking all this foundational knowledge that most other artists have preloaded into them, uh, that there was this huge sense of imposter syndrome of how can I create art that contributes more broadly to, uh, the arc of art history. And I was just putting all this pressure on myself to figure out how to create uh, something that would be meaningful in art, as opposed to just creating art that I felt and believed in. And I realized that that can actually be the most revolutionary
0: thing. And when were you able to let that pressure go, if you were able to let it go?
1: Um, You know, that's been a push and pull throughout my career. I have now been an independent, successful artist for a decade. And yet I still feel imposter syndrome. And like, am I a real artist if I don't fit into the establishment? Um, It doesn't really matter how much external validation I get or public facing opportunities to present my art. I still on the inside feel insecure. That is what I'm doing art historically relevant but why not just create art for the times?
0: That's a lot of pressure because we don't know what's going to be art historically relevant. Many artists who are art historically relevant now were complete quote unquote failures in their day or people who were popular and success in their day are irrelevant now. I'm wondering if we go back to, okay, you're working in politics, the furniture design, you discover this cool new technique that you want to explore. When was the moment that you realized I could maybe make this my career
1: I painted on my first person at the end of my senior year of college and then I shortly thereafter graduated and I went back to my parents house in DC and I decided that uh, politics didn't really speak to me anymore and I felt completely lost but I felt completely enthralled in this process of creating and painting especially in three-dimensional space with this technique that I developed And I decided that if I'm feeling really this passionate about art, why don't I try just dedicating myself to it rather than going into a field that already is so uh, overly familiar that I felt um, didn't have the same type of mystique left anymore.
0: And so, okay, so you're there and you're sort of building your your craft in your studio and As you said, you've been working as a successful artist for 10 years now. And one thing that I really loved was that on your site, you really also highlight the team that you have around you, which is, you know, so many artists have teams, but I loved that you really take the time to let people know, hey, this is the group of people supporting me. So, you know, I know that you don't just get a team overnight, talk a little bit about your team and how they help you out. But also when did you feel like, okay, now I'm at a level where I need it to be more than just me.
1: Yeah. Something I want to say, too, is that a lot of people wonder, like, oh, how are you able to juggle this many things at the same time? And it is because I have an incredible team there supporting me. And I think it does a disservice to a lot of the um, younger or emerging artists out there when they see this, like, idea of this, like, one figure of this lone artist as this heroic, tortured soul And they don't realize that there are a dozen people around them facilitating all of this. Of course. And um, there is this romanticization of the artist, again, as this like one lone genius um, that doesn't really accommodate giving credit to all of the other people who are part of manifesting something. So I have um, a team that includes the business and administration production side, as well as the studio art team who helps me with painting large scale installations. So in multiple realms, I have people that are able to contribute to making large scale artwork that would be impossible with just my two hands. Um, I got my first assistant several years ago and his job was to go through my email and help flag things to me that I needed to respond to because I found that the crush of inbound messages was causing a lot of anxiety sure. and having to stay on top of my email was actually keeping me outside of the studio. Like my job became being on my laptop, managing right. my art career rather than actually making
0: the artwork. Being creative. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so once I was able to have that person working just part-time, it opened up this whole new world where all of a sudden I was substantially more productive in the art studio because I didn't have hanging over me being like, oh my God, I need to get back to this person. And I could really allow myself to let go more creatively. I I currently have somebody on my team in the role of production manager. And she pretty much tells me uh, what is and is not possible to pull off in whatever time frame we have. And so I'll come to her with this like giant idea of like, okay, I wanna have a human hamster wheel fabricated and like a light up tunnel that you have to crawl through. And <laughs> yeah. I will just throw out the wildest stuff. And then sometimes she'll be like, yeah, actually a hamster wheel, that sounds really doable. We could do that within four weeks and whatever else. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay, I was kind of bluffing when I said that. But for, <laughs> but for my last exhibit, I literally had a human hamster wheel custom fabricated that I painted. Um, so it really helps having that external voice essentially to say yes or no, because then I'm not limiting myself and how big that I can think.
0: Now, I would imagine that when you first open up your art practice to outsiders, even if it's just someone answering your email, was that difficult? You're taking someone into your personal art career. Uh, Was it hard to, to make that shift and sort of trust them, but then also be managing things?
1: I have to give a lot of credit to the book, The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. Um, It's kind of sounds Mm. cliche or weird for an artist to sit, or not cliche for an artist, but it's kind of weird maybe for an artist to be recommending that book of all books. But that really helped me see the power of delegating and like that if things can be done by someone who's not me, then why would I be spending my time doing that when there's things like painting that only I am able to
0: do? right that book and that advice is great advice you look at the history of art and pretty much every successful artist has a studio helping them because just impossible for one person to as you said you'd be very limited in the scope of what you could do and now you're able to do these incredible collaborations and productions i'm actually curious about shifting a little bit touching on some of the collaborations you've done your 2016 collaboration with John Boggs and Little Buck and the short film, Colors of Reality, that really spoke to me because it's a piece where, that combines your art with their incredible dance and movement and is also speaking about a topic that unfortunately we're still struggling with immensely uh, in the United States, which is gun violence, um, racial tensions, the the unfortunate issues with police violence against black men in particular. So. Tell me a little bit about how that collaboration came to be.
1: Movement artist John Boats reached out to me with an idea of doing a collaboration where we combine my painting with his dancing uh, for a short film that would speak to uh, the racial injustices that we're seeing with policing. And it was an incredibly powerful piece because it brought together all these different art forms, painting, dance, and then social justice into making a piece that speaks with a very heavy heart to something very important, that also presents it in a way that's um, almost more digestible while being more impactful. There's something about having that gateway of art as a means to talk about something that is so difficult to put into words that allows it to resonate in ways that otherwise people wouldn't be comfortable having that conversation about race but instead they can see this work of art that speaks without words and through the medium of dance and painting that communicates effectively.
0: Yeah, and certainly the video was extremely emotional and very impactful. You spoke about it a little bit, but as an artist, I mean, do you feel a responsibility to get involved with issues that speak to you? And do you think maybe you're background in politics sort of motivates you to get involved in this sort of stuff?
1: I think my history of political nerddom definitely finds its way through in my artwork. (laughs) I was initially interested in politics because I wanted to make a difference in society. And I realized that you can do that through many different mediums, not just through Capitol Hill, but working independently as an artist to raise consciousness or make work that can be controversial and raise a conversation around an important issue.
0: Mm. Let's shift directions a little bit and talk about the hot new buzzword that's happening in contemporary art world, which is NFT or non-fungible tokens. I'm gonna attempt very briefly to explain at least as much as I know what it actually is. So we're talking about encryption. And in this case, you have artwork, it can be a piece of music, it can be a tweet as we've seen gets to be encrypted in a way that it is forever unique. So either unique like a single painting or even a series like a baseball trading card. And these NFTs are really hitting the digital world because all of a sudden digital assets, which you know you don't have a physical maybe copy of, you can now own a piece of them. So it's gotten a lot of press. Twitter founder Jack Dorsey sold his very first tweet. And of course, digital artist Beeple broke tons of records with his auction at Christie's. And so it's really sort of everywhere now. And Alexa, I know that you just did your very first NFT auction. So how was that experience for you?
1: The world of NFTs is quite mysterious to a lot of artists because it involves so much high technology and blockchain. And I think that that actually does a disservice to artists, that there isn't yet a clear narrative of how to describe it, um, what NFTs are. And so for me to go from the process of first learning about NFTs to actually make my own was several weeks of really intensive research and learning the jargon. And um, I finally put my art out there as an NFT. I had a successful auction and now I'm trying to figure out how I can help educate other artists on what nfts are and how they can do it with their own work because the amount of research that i had to do was mind-boggling and i feel like there has to be an easier way to just communicate to everyday artists what this actually is
0: yeah sure because i think it is confusing you create this piece and the pieces that you auction with these beautiful videos of people moving in your environments and everything and then you actually have to transform it into an NFT. So it is sort of difficult to understand how you get from point A to point B. And so what got you intrigued about NFT? What got you excited about it to say, okay, I've got to try this?
1: A lot of my art career has been spent outside of the traditional art establishment. I've exhibited my work in galleries, but I do not have worldwide gallery representation. Um, I don't like the idea of a gallery taking 50% of my sales just for them existing when all the customers that buy the work are people who find my art online and then contact the gallery and the gallery takes 50%. And so NFTs are a way to essentially cut out that middle person and to sell directly to art collectors or NFT collectors.
0: So one thing that I do think is very interesting about NFT for creators, especially when they work in a digital space or in more sort of immersive experiences like you do is it's very difficult to perhaps sell and be rewarded for your work in the same way that someone who I'm painting a canvas, I'm selling this canvas is to someone.
1: It allows, well, what's cool is that NFTs allow more types of artwork to be monetizable. When it comes to digital art, we're used to just seeing it on our screens. We don't think of that as something that you pay for to consume. And as NFTs that allows opportunity for somebody now to purchase that work of digital art and have it be ownable, even though it remains digital the entire time. It's not a photo print. It's not something you hang on your wall. It is literally something that just exists only in digital format. It also presents interesting opportunities for work to be sold that previously wouldn't have a home in an art gallery. So whether it's digital art or dance or performance, you can of course have a performance art piece in a gallery, but it's difficult to sell that. With NFTs, that allows you to essentially create a certificate of authenticity that says, this is the real performance, and now it is something that can be authenticated and sold. Something that a lot of people bring up with NFTs that they don't quite understand is that when it comes to digital art, Why would someone pay to own it when everybody else can look at it for free? And isn't that the same experience? But the difference is that there comes the knowing that you are the one that owns it. It's also now an asset that could be traded that you could sell on the secondary market. And it's um, a different way to appreciate art that previously didn't exist without the technology.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think people who are collectors of things will understand that, you know, I mean, it's like owning any, you could own something, but put it on loan into the public and have everyone come in and and see it. But you are the only one who actually has it. Um, That exclusivity of actually being the owner, I think is going to be attractive to a lot of of people. I mean, it's quite interesting because there's all sorts of platforms now that are popping up in the art world for NFT. So I'm sure we're going to see a lot more things happening, um, and a lot more NFT auctions, even at pl- traditional places like Christie's, which is uh, pretty incredible.
1: Yeah. Christie's, Sotheby's, Phillips, all of them have had huge NFT auctions. So it's really interest- interesting to see adoption from like high art world establishment and that this so quickly has transformed everything overnight. And that's not scrappy independent artists only who are experimenting with it. It's an entire shift that industry-wide is being acknowledged.
0: So you've now had your first successful auction. You've had your first successful round of creating NFTs. What are you thinking about now for your next go around? Did it get you excited to create even more material in that way?
1: I think it's really exciting because my work um, a painting on people is something that previously I was only able to sell as edition photo prints, but now I can actually have the video of that experience capturing mm. the humanness coming through in the painting. And so I'm creating more video artwork now with the intention of having this now be something that can actually be ownable as opposed to just something that would be viewed on a on YouTube. Like it's not YouTube content, it's actual art, and it's video art, and that's really exciting. A lot of people wonder how I find my models to paint, and I have a huge waiting list. So oftentimes I'll do commission portraits where people can pay me to paint them. And I have this idea of creating an NFT for a commission portrait, where someone has the ability Mm -hmm. to buy the NFT token, and then that becomes redeemable for an in-person portrait session, where I come to them, I paint them, and then we put the finished painting on the blockchain. So the person who bought the original token now has two NFTs, the first one and then the custom made art that is of them.
0: Incredible. Well, I mean, there are so many different possibilities. Is it things like this that keeps you motivated and excited to get into the studio and continue with your practice?
1: This has definitely sparked my imagination in a huge way. It is something that is a shift in just the art world at large and a shift in technology and a new medium happening all at once. So it's not just like the discovery of a new tool that can be used to produce art. It's also just like a new way of collecting art that there's so many shifts happening at the intersection all at the same time from NFTs and figuring out how to navigate that world and be part of this moment. is really exciting.
0: Yeah, there's a lot to to explore and a lot of exciting stuff coming up, I'm sure. Well, Alexa, it's been amazing talking to you. Thank you for trying to explain what NFTs are. You actually did explain quite well. And so I'm sure people are happy to actually know what they are. Tell people where they can see your work.
1: My website is alexamead.com. Um, and then my Instagram and Twitter are alexameadart. And on TikTok, I'm Mead.
0: And we'll have all of that into the show description so that you can click away and see some of her incredible work. Thank you so much, Alexa. Thank you so much. A big thank you to Alexa Mead for joining us on the My Modern Met Top Artist podcast to open up about her work and to help us unravel some of the mysteries around NFT art. You'll find links to Alexa's work at the show description and be sure to follow the Top Artist Instagram to see some of her art. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe, so you won't miss an episode. And please leave us a review. A special shout out to Easy Great Photographers for their review, which reads, I'm loving the simple interview style and the back and forth flowing questions and answer format. The artists really go deep into their personal perspectives, which is very refreshing, especially these days. Truly an eye and mind opening space to find out about today's art influencers. Thanks for your feedback. We love hearing your thoughts. We'll be back in two weeks with another interview to help inspire your creativity. In the meantime, don't forget to get your daily dose of art and culture on mymodernmet.com.